Great, it's so good. Um, I hope you're enjoying the 6M stuff we're getting into as a church. I was um, chatting earlier on at the prayer time a bit around how I've loved it in our house group, talking about uh, real places, stuff where, where you kind of forget that God might be with me at work. God might be doing something um, in, in those frontline places, which actually we, we sometimes don't recognize. And I'm loving this, um, looking through this stuff together. And it's good having Jeremy to share with us this morning. Jeremy's joined the eldership team recently, along with Claire. It's so good having you on the, on the team with us. Already we had a day of fasting and prayer, and it was great having Jeremy leading that. And it isn't just coincidence, some of these speakers we've got with these things. We know that Jeremy is going to be great, somebody who makes good work. And uh, so come and come and share, Jeremy. Let me just pray as you come up. Lord, we do thank you so much for this, this man, Lord. We thank you for Claire and for what they are to, to you, how much you love them first and foremost, but to what, as, for what they are to us as a church as well, Lord, for what they, they bring and their love for us. Lord, we pray for Jeremy as he shares today, Lord, just that we'd be really listening, really listening for your voice. Let your Holy Spirit come and speak to us through your word, Lord. Amen. So good morning. Really lovely to see you all this morning. Uh, welcome family and visitors as well, just you're incredibly welcome. So we're continuing our series this morning on fruitfulness on the front line, which we're looking at in home groups as well. And today is our second M, it's making good work, making good work. Um, I'm just going to read, uh, so the passage is, it's uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 to 25, um, apologies, I didn't think in time to put it up here, really, which is a bit of an oversight. Um, but if you just switch your Bibles on or just listen to it, that'd be absolutely fine. I'm reading actually from the New Jerusalem version. Let the word of Christ, in all its richness, find a home with you. Teach each other and advise each other in all wisdom. With gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms and hymns and inspired songs to God. And whatever you say or do... Let it be in the name of the Lord Jesus, in thanksgiving to God the Father through him. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as you should in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be sharp with them. Children, be obedient to your parents always, because that is what will please the Lord. Parents, do not irritate your children or they will lose heart. Slaves, be obedient in every way to the people who, according to human reckoning, are your masters, not only when you are under their eye, as if you had only to please human beings, but wholeheartedly out of respect for the master. Whatever your work is, put your heart into it, as done for the Lord and not for human beings, knowing that the Lord will repay you by making you his heirs. It is Christ the Lord that you are serving." Anyone who does wrong will be repaid in kind, for there is no favoritism. I'll just go into the start of chapter 4. Masters, make sure that your slaves are given what is upright and fair, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So quite a long passage. We're going to be um, concentrating on the second half of it, but I'll just give a little bit of uh, a background. Fia, are you happy just to pop up that next slide? What may be helpful, I think, particularly before kind of meeting in home groups this week, is there is a parallel passage in Ephesians, and it's Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 21 to chapter 6, verse 9. And I just put it up there so you can make a note, maybe have a read of it before you get into the home groups. This is it's a slightly later reworking of the same kind of material, and uh, it probably just gives a little bit better context. 
that it says in actually in Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another in love. Uh, so that's the context. And I think it just brings out the, the mutuality and the kind of reciprocal nature, particularly of those husband-wife relationships, uh, a little bit better maybe than the Colossians passage. But today, making good work, making good work. So you might be sitting there and you might be thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me. And uh, one or two people I've, I've spoken to recently have said, well, do you know, I'm not even sure that I have a front line to be fruitful on. And I think maybe if we just think a bit more broadly about it. So if we think of uh, not just paid employment, and we are going to touch into that, particularly through the first half, but if we think about it in terms of vocation, it's a lovely word that the heart of our English word vocation is a Latin word, vocare, which means to call. And if we think of actually what is God calling us to do, and that could be looking after a loved one who is sick, uh, it could be any number of things, but all of us really have a vocation. We have something that God is, you know, something God is calling us to do. And when we think of it in those terms, it just expands it a little bit. And I think it can be quite uh, motivating, even if our vocation is you know, just praying for, for people or uh, bringing you know, counsel to them when they come to us. What's your vocation? But, yeah, a word on the world of work. Uh, some years ago, I was at a, a Christian men's uh, seminar, and uh, the subject of work came up. And there was quite a sort of heated response. A lot of the guys who were there uh, were saying, do you know, it's just getting so busy. We're just being asked to do so much. We have so many pressures, and uh, we don't really know where to go with it. And I always remember the response of the chap who was leading the seminar, who's a lovely uh, pastoral chap called Ken Hepworth. And he said, you know, I think there's a bit of a wind-up in the world about work. And I think it's not just that some employers want you to, to work well, but they kind of want your soul. And I sort of reflected on that a bit over the years. And I don't think it's got any easier in some ways since then, perhaps, the world of work. That... Uh, I guess most people have probably heard of Elon Musk, haven't they, uh, here? Yes. He's kind of like the celebrated world-rich person now. It used to be Bill Gates, and now, now it just seems to be Elon Musk in, in recent years. But uh, you know, took over Twitter, and uh, he, one of the things that happened, it didn't go particularly well, uh, and he lost a lot of employees in the first month because he was asking more and more of them. He was saying, you know, I want you to work harder, I want you to give more, and... Uh, you know, you've, you've just got to commit more. And a lot of people left. And he was asked, you know, did he actually care about this? To which he replied, no, I don't care. I've got the people I want. I only want the best tweeps. Apparently, tweeps are people who work for Twitter. So he's literally taken people, and he's taken Twitter, the name of the organization, and spliced them together. Like, your identity, your belonging is to the company. And actually, I think we get a very good corrective in Colossians to that kind of uh, belief system. And it's important just to, I think, revisit it before we think about our various you know, workplaces, our vocations. Just pop up that next uh, slide, Fee. So this is the heart of uh, Colossians, the passage, uh, verses 23, 24. Whatever your work is, Put your heart into it, as done for the Lord and not for human beings, knowing that the Lord will repay you by making you his heirs. It is Christ the Lord that you are serving. 
And what the passage is saying is, yes, in verse 22, it talks about doing well for your employers, if you like. And uh, obviously, we don't keep slaves now. There are things that culturally do not translate across to our day. Just important to say that. Uh, yes, you know, we want to work well, but actually... Our identity is in Christ. What we are, who we belong to is Christ, and who we are working to is Christ. And uh, it's important because we can be susceptible, I think, to uh, getting on this hamster wheel of busyness with our work. And unless we come back to the reality that we're loved and accepted by God, we can just be working harder and harder and faster and faster. And... Uh, you know, we're always on a hiding to nothing with that. So it's important to come back to this centering of our belonging and our identity in Christ. It's a little uh, phrase that helps me if we just pop up that next uh, slide, if we can, Fee. This is by somebody called Robert McGee, who's done quite a bit of work in Christian counselling. There's actually a counselling model based around this. I am deeply loved, totally forgiven, fully pleasing, accepted and complete in Christ. Just say that again. I am deeply loved, totally totally forgiven, fully pleasing, accepted, and complete in Christ. How does that make you feel? Do you believe it? Is there a little bit of that you think, actually, I just react a bit against that? Do you struggle with fully pleasing, maybe? And what it's saying, it's not saying that everything that we do is okay, but that God sees us in the robes of Christ's righteousness and complete in Christ. We're not perfect, but actually this was something the Colossian Christians needed to hear because what they were trying to do was add things to their salvation. As uh, Andy alluded to last week, they were trying to kind of bring in certain ritual practices and do things to kind of add uh, to their salvation. But actually, no, we're complete in Christ. It's been done. We can't earn God's love. Uh, Can't earn that anymore. And it's just an important, I think, corrective that we see when we think about our world of work, that actually our foundation, our baseline, is that we're loved by God and that we belong to Jesus. We don't belong to the company, if you like. Okay, so I've studied these passages, particularly from sort of 22 to verse 25. Over the years, they brought me quite a lot of encouragement in my 20s when I was in a job that was quite boring and uh, didn't enjoy very much. I have come to the conclusion that Paul is offering us a very deep theological equation about the world of work. Okay, so take a deep breath. Shoulders back. Paul's deep theological equation coming up on the next slide. I've come to the conclusion, essentially this is what he's saying, do a good job. Do a good job. And it might sound simple, but actually it was something that the Colossian church needed to hear. Because what had happened is that, yes, they, had, uh, they were kind of adding in certain ritual practices, but also it all become a little bit pseudo-spiritual, that uh, they were, uh, the worship of angels was possibly taking place there alongside the worship of Jesus. Uh, there were other deities that were perhaps being worshipped. And there was a kind of esoteric wisdom, a little bit divorced from reality, really. Uh, what some people think, or some commentators think, might actually be early traces of a problem called Gnosticism, which kind of flourished particularly in the second century and was a challenge to the church. And they become a little bit divorced from reality. 
So what Paul is doing in this passage, he's saying, yes, you might be risen with Christ, but actually there's a very practical, concrete outworking of what that looks like in your lives. So it looks like how a husband and a wife relate together. It looks like um, how you relate to your children. It looks like how you do your job and uh, how you handle relationships in your work. So Paul was actually saying, you know, spirituality and practicality belong together. And there's always a little bit of a problem when we divorce the spiritual from the practical. I remember actually speaking to an old pastor mentor of mine. I'm talking about witnessing at work. And it's good to talk about Jesus at work. Don't get me wrong. But he said, you know, the best witness we can do first off is to do a good job. And actually, because people kind of read what we do, we don't always think they notice it. And then a few weeks later, they'll say something. And you think, oh, actually, do you know, you were watching. You were sort of taking note. And um, does anybody know, uh, out of interest, do you know what percentage of a message that we communicate is words alone? Does anybody want to hazard a guess? So Mark's got 40. Any lower than 40%? You've got 10 to 20% from Margaret. Any lower? 2%. That's going for it, Mandy. <laughs> we pop up the next slide, Fee. So 7% words, 38% voice and tone, and 55% nonverbal or body language. Uh, this is a study by somebody called Albert Morabian, who um, I grant you that he was particularly interested in body language, um, but actually it's quite a well-respected study uh, as well. So actually more than half of what we do is, you know, what, what people... Uh, take away from us, what we communicate is, is non-verbal in a sense, it's our body language, it's what we do. I think Jo, when she was uh, introduced in this series last week, when she was leading the meeting, said uh, it's uh, not just about what we say, but about what we do. And that's probably a, a great paraphrase for what Paul is getting at, what he's saying to the Colossian church uh, in these passages. Okay, little aside, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Apart from being, you know, saviour of the world and uh, son of God, um, prophet, priest and king, what did Jesus do? What did he do as a job among us? Car carpenter, yes, yeah, so we've got carpenter. And uh, it's a bit more than that. So the word certainly used for uh, Jesus' father, Joseph, in the, Old in, in the New Testament, is it's a Greek word, tekton. And uh, a tecton was more like a general construction guy. Rachel asked about construction people earlier, didn't she? So it, it was more somebody who would certainly work in stone. And, you know, yes, Jesus, he would have, um, he would have made some furniture and he would have made some uh, agricultural tools in a very agrarian society. But he would have also been involved in more kind of general construction projects as well. And I think he did a good job. I think... Uh, you know, if he was known as the tecton who um, didn't make your tools in time because he was off doing something else or didn't turn up for the project, uh, he's not going to be able to build a public ministry on that very easily. And I think one thing that Jesus is master of, and particularly as we look in the Gospels, is he is the master of making now fruitful. He is the master of the moment. And I think that's quite an important lesson. And you know, we see him, maybe he's going out to pray and ends up feeding 5,000 people. And uh, I think for us, you know, it's a, it's a good lesson because we can have this idea that uh, it will be different at some point in the future. You know, you might think, actually, 
If I get a new boss, I will be, fr I will be fruitful on my front line. So if my boss changes, I can be fruitful. Or if my circumstances change at work, then I will be fruitful. Or we might be thinking, uh, actually, if I had a completely different job, I'd be fruitful. Or if I was into that part of my calling, that's where God really wants me, and I will be fruitful when I get there. And I don't think that's how Jesus lived. I think he lived in the now. And actually, you know, for most of us, for all of us here, the most important time is now. Because actually, yeah, we can learn things from the past and we can plan for the future, but what we can respond in is now. And just offer that up to God that he can make it fruitful. And I think that's something that we see in the life of Jesus. Now, in the life of Paul as well. So Paul was writing Colossians while he was under house arrest in Rome. Suddenly, his front line has just got a lot smaller for this chap who's sort of gallivanting all over the world and uh, sharing the gospel, suddenly he's under arrest. And, uh, you know, you're thinking maybe he'd turn, just turn to the wall and say, well, it's all, you know, it's all sort of over for me now. But actually, he writes the book of Colossians uh, while under arrest. It's known as a, a prison letter. Wouldn't it be prison quite as we think of it, but you know, known as a prison letter. Also, probably, he writes Ephesians, well under arrest, so what's known as the peak of the epistles, Philippians and Philemon. So four letters that make up our New Testament, Paul probably writes them while he's under arrest, while his circumstances are difficult and while his, his world has just got a lot smaller. But he says, actually, if I you know, sort of yield my life to God, if I continue in my vocation, my calling, God can still make it fruitful. And we have those four letters as really quite an important part of our uh, New Testament. Now, if we didn't have, certainly if we didn't have Philippians, Ephesians, and uh, Colossians, uh, you're kind of taking out at the heart of the epistles, really. And they were written when his, his front line uh, you know, wasn't particularly prosperous. And who is Paul writing to? He's addressing slaves. He's addressing slaves, and actually he's saying, you know, yeah, your circumstances might be limited, but actually, you know, what you do for Jesus, what you do for Christ, it matters, what you do matters, and what you do can make a difference. Making a difference. Isn't that what we all want in many ways with our front lines? If he's just going to pop up the next slide. Be the change you want to see in the world. Does anybody know who said that? No, it's a famous 20th century figure. It's actually Gandhi who said it. And... Uh, you know, Gandhi was not somebody who became a Christian, but he had a lot of respect for Jesus. And uh, although he did one or two strange things, he probably lived the Sermon on the Mount, the principles of it, uh, you know, really quite radically in some ways. Is it extending beyond what Paul's saying in the letter to the Colossians? Maybe a bit. Is it in line with Paul's thought and theology and practicality? Yes, definitely. Is it in line with Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount? Yes, absolutely. Be the change you want to see in the world. Make a difference. And actually... Now, it's important for all of us, because whatever our front line, whatever we do, if we're in a place where we think we can't make a difference and we can't influence something, that becomes quite an immobilizing place. That can become quite a hopeless, quite a dark place. It's at times like that that we might start you know, doing something to make ourselves feel better, you know, go out and go shopping and spend what money we have. Or, you know... Do something really sad, like watch an episode of Mrs. Brown's Boys, or something equally terrible. 
Try and cheer ourselves up. Sorry, is that anybody's favorite program here? <laughs> or, you know, we, we might, uh, yeah, kind of throw in the towel a little bit, do those things, or do you know, destructive things, really, to, uh, because we can't really make it the difference that we want to in the world. And I think also, you know, being in the change, making the difference, it's, uh, it's important because our culture, I think there can be this sense of, in which somebody else, we're always looking for somebody else to do it, our culture, and that can, can influence the church as well. You know, it always, you know, oh gosh, you know, why aren't you know, such and such an agency doing something about this? Why aren't the government doing something about this? And, you know, I understand frustrations. I'm a paramedic by background in the NHS. I've worked in emergency and urgent care for nearly 20 years. I get when things aren't happening. I get when things aren't happening. But actually, sometimes I think the Lord can turn that question back on us a bit as well and say, yeah, but what, Jeremy, what about you? Kind of, what are you doing? Do you know, a lot of the things, actually, that the, uh, the state does now, the church used to do or be more prominently involved with, particularly in healthcare and education, to... Has anybody heard of John Bosco? If you're in education, you might have heard of him. Sometimes known as Don Bosco. Lived in the 1800s in Italy. And he was in northern Italy, and he was really disturbed by the plight of poor children around Turin. Really moved by their plight. Ends up kind of starting an education movement that grows and grows. It becomes really effective. Before Don Bosco's death, it had actually spread throughout Europe and to South America. Still goes on today. And you know, he didn't look over his shoulder and say, well, who's going who's to do it? You know, where's the person who's done the helping urchins off the street course? Has anybody done that course? Yeah, it turns out nobody had done that course. But he was moved by the love of God, moved by the compassion of God, and he moves into vocation, calling, Wherever you find lepers since the 12th, 13th century, you will find uh, those from the Franciscan movement working with them, loving them, caring for them. Why? Because they were told to do so? No, because actually St. Francis, before his conversion, he was terrified as, of lepers, as many were in that day. He saw the face of Christ in a leper and embraced the leper, did some work in a, a leprosarium, probably at San Lazaro. And it becomes a touchstone for the movement. It becomes a calling. It becomes vocation. Actually, you know, we can do this. We can make a difference. The early church in Rome, from where Paul is writing this letter, in Rome, infanticide was legal at that time in ancient Rome. And people who didn't want infants used to leave them on refuse heaps throughout the city. Uh, you could do that if it was you know, wrong sex, deformity, just not wanted. And the early Christian church in Rome said, this is awful. These are infants who are made in the image of God and loved by God, and we want to uh, do something about it. So they used to send out teams in the morning and collect in these unwanted infants and love them and nurture them and bring them up in the church. They weren't looking for someone else to do it. They just sensed the call, the vocation, of God to do it. I think all of those examples, if Paul could see them, he might have pointed the Colossian church to them and said, look, look at this. This is spirituality in action. This is the spiritual and the practical Colossian Christians 
coming together. You know, I think our world, it's changing, and there are challenges in it. Uh, particularly in our Western world, we don't know quite what way things are going to go. And it may be unsettling, but actually maybe with it as well there are opportunities. Opportunities to step into new vocations. Opportunities for the church to really be the radically different expression of the love of God and the kingdom of God that it is called to be. Okay, it'd be good to pray for people uh, in a moment. I'm just going to finish with a little prayer benediction. This is by somebody called Teresa of Avila. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. And I would say, no hands, no feet, no eyes, but ours. We are the body of Christ together, and we can make a difference as we come into our vocation, singular, and vocation, vocations, uh, plural, and vocation, singular, as the church. Okay. Brilliant. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. Okay, just to say, I think, let's not rush away. I know we've got to get set up for lunch. It's, it's going to be busy, isn't it? There's things happening. But um, we would love to spend that bit of time praying with you. Uh, if you're struggling with your front line, if you're in education, um, yeah, please do it. Please stop and, and pray this morning. Jeremy's really got hold of something there. And I'd love us as a church to be really engaging with this thing of front lines, seeing where they are, seeing that God really uh, does want to use every single one of us. So please um, stop and pray at the end. Um, just to say as well, I mentioned about if you'd like to know a bit more about membership this morning, please do. We've got a little urn over there just for people who want to know about membership. Okay, special jump the queue. But, but you do get to do the washing up later on. That's the other bit of that. Okay, I'm just going to pray and uh, then we'll move on and, and get, grab our lunch and get set up. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're so real, that you um, talk about us, um, being your, you think of us as being your hands and your feet, Lord. You want us to serve you, and you've got purpose for us. You really have got purpose for every one of us. And I, I pray that as um, those little things stir in us today, I pray that we wouldn't miss, miss out. Nobody would miss out today, Lord Jesus.